I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. As always, it's a real privilege to be with you here again. And thank you so much for everyone who's been sharing the podcast and those of you that have rated and reviewed it on the platform of your choice. I really appreciate it. It all helps to the the algorithms making the podcast more visible to more people. And the more people we can reach, the more people we can help. So yeah, really, really appreciate all the support. Now today we're going to be talking about special education and I'm delighted to be chatting to Leddy Glenn. Now, her passion for special education began when she was working at a non-profit and realised that the individuals she enjoyed working with most were the ones with exceptionalities. Her epiphany led her to leave her job and she went back to school to become a special education teacher. Now, she has learned how every aspect of the special education process could evolve because she sat at every seat of an individual education plan meeting, both as a student, a special education teacher and a parent. And that's why she's created Fresh Thinking Special Education Advisors. So in the field of special education services, her goal every day is to identify and apply educational approaches to help all involved succeed. And what better way to do that than someone who has that real 360 view of exactly what's involved in the process and the people involved. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Leddy Glenn. Hi, Leddy. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Education on Fire podcast. One of my passions is this idea of personalised learning. Um, and I just think everyone should have that opportunity. But I know that, you know, that as we get into our conversation today, I think it's probably going to be a really key area in terms of, <laughs> of the sorts of work you do in, in how you're supporting people. So, yeah, first of all, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So tell us where, where you're calling from and in, um, in, in kind of, sort of the area that you're working with in terms of, sort of geographically and also obviously the people that you're able to reach as well. Okay. I am located in Kansas City, Missouri, in the middle, very middle of the United States. So pretty much you can't get any more center than where I'm at. And the population that I serve is special education. So um, I've been working in classrooms since about 2001. And I've been a special education teacher um, for 10 plus years of that time. And so the population that I served most often when I was in the classroom as a teacher was uh, emotionally disturbed, oppositional defiant, behavior disorders of some way, shape, or form. And then uh, I also worked a lot with um, severely autism classrooms, so self-contained where it was my last one. I was one of five adults and eight kids, so very um, specific dealing with behaviors. but those are my people and I love it. Uh, but now I am, uh, I've led a learning pod since COVID hit. I left the education classroom and I've been working with kids outside of my home who have chosen to do virtual learning. And uh, this year I'm also working with kids who um, specifically need help with self-regulation. 
So take us into that in terms of what that looks like for you on that kind of sort of day-to-day process. Mm -hmm. So um, I work with a group of kids in about four hours a day and truly our main lessons is how do we um, how do we maintain uh, safety within ourselves and with others because uh, the the kids that I mainly work with have not only a special education need but a a trauma need. So um, needing to get out of their reptilian brain and fight, 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 flight or freeze and know that they're safe. And I guess I think the, the, the really interesting thing for me and I think the important thing is the fact that so many of us think so you're young and you're toddling and then you go to school and then some kids seem to take to it like a duck to water. Some people struggle. Some people have reasons why it doesn't quite work for them in the way that they do. Mm-hmm. And as I said, sort of at the beginning, everything needs to be personalized because we work in different ways. We relate to people in different ways and, and, and that kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. So from your sort of experience in the classroom, how did you sort of help that sort of transition between no you don't have to be the same as everybody else and actually you know the conversations and the work that we're going to do is going to be personalized to really get you to be the best person that you can within the environment that you are Mm -hmm. Uh, listening that was the big one listening and staying the course Uh, a lot of the the children that i worked with they tested you to make sure are you going to leave me are you going to hurt me in some way shape or form so just staying there saying i'm here and we're going to work together was really what brought down a lot of the barriers and so i was able really to build that base of you're safe and we can because really as as we know we can't start learning until we have our baseline of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So truly my, uh, every morning, the first questions I would ask everybody is basic need questions and we would go from there. Uh, and truly that's where the greatest change happened. And you need time for that, don't you? And I guess that's the thing that people really struggle with Mm -hmm. when you're in any form of kind of traditional system and and Mm -hmm. setting is the fact that, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And, ah, we know this is the most important thing. Like I say, those questions and and the way that we're supporting these children, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm needing to do a million other things. And so is that just a mindship issue? Is it a kind of obviously a real practical issue? And how do you sort of marry the two from your sort of experience of those sort of 20 years or so? Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's a struggle. And one of the classroom settings that I was in, it was not... Um, as a as valued it was more you have to be teaching you cannot step out of the classroom and have a conversation with the kids you have to stay and you have to um, do this that and the other and really it was kind of a butting of the heads because um, I I know that that's not best practice for me or for the kid and ultimately um, I was told by administrators that I should have just been a social worker and not a teacher and my background is social services. Before I became a special education teacher, I was in um, victim advocacy and youth education. So I worked a lot with victims right in the moment of um, of crisis. But I also um, worked with them in the classrooms, educating them on on how to on what to do if crisis or how to stay safe and that sort of thing. Uh, so. Truly, my best work and the best place that I was able to do that was a school that really uh, 
utilized my experience in letting me be in not the only educator in the classroom so if someone was in crisis I was able to step out and take a walk with them or uh, I was able to allow students to come in when they needed some self-regulation so really allowing educators to have space in order to say okay this is what I need to focus on right now is really what's helpful is that always easy normal and <laughs> No, it is not. I um, realized that that was a different um, situation, but it was a regular high school setting that I was working in. Uh, the administration just utilized me in a different way. Um, so I was able to provide that for all students, not just special education students. And you mentioned the administrators mm -hmm. there. I mean, is that the key thing? Is it that kind of the approach, the understanding and the ability to to work with the skills of the people that they've that they've got at their disposal that, that makes the most difference because like I say depending on the setting that you're working mm -hmm. in of course you're going to have a different focus right. depending on the number of children who need the extra support and that kind of thing but I guess mm -hmm. it's always that sort of top down what's the vision what are we all doing which makes the biggest difference Ab absolutely uh, and this school setting that I've been talking about it was I was able to be in a classroom that was set up specifically for kids with behavior disorders. So it was the safe place that they could come to. So I wasn't always in teaching a lesson. I could be working more hopping around to different kids as they came in or worked on an assignment. Uh, absolutely, that made a lot of changes in the school, positive changes. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so what's your kind of goal now? What's your Sort of, sort of with that experience in the, in the terms of the way you work mm -hmm. now what what is it that you feel that you're able to to bring to the people that you're working with and the families and and sort of practically how, how does that work for you mm -hmm. well when you have a child with um, large behavioral needs it's it's isolating and it's um it's scary uh and so knowing that there is a professional that's not in the school setting that can help kids outside of that setting is is bring some peace because they know that their child their behaviors aren't going to be in the forefront they're going to be as in they're not going to be the main focus instead of we're being preactive instead of reactive and we're not penalizing them for the behaviors that they're presenting because we know that behavior, you know, they're not waking up and choosing to be dysregulated every morning. So we know that they um, need help and they need to learn it and they need to feel safe. So that is the, that's the, the main focus. And then all the education will come after that. But as long as we're not penalizing them and making them feel bad for the people that they are, we're going to make some changes. Yeah, and and that's so and so important, isn't it? I mean, it's like we say, it's important for everybody, and and I think the the biggest problem that we have as a system, like you say, there's time and the, and there's the way that each sort of school class and setup is, mm -hmm. but there's also that sense of by this time or this age, yes. we're expecting you to be able to do X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. and that's just completely impossible. If actually we're talking about just understanding sort of real basic, mm -hmm. what's your human need that you need today? Like I say, you know, mm -hmm. we can learn the rest when you're in a position to feel like that's your next step mm -hmm. rather than just because we, as a nation or <laughs> or like I say, as a system, mm -hmm. is, believe that's the case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in terms of, of the support you give, 
is there sort of an, an age range? Is there um, a particular system or, or anything that people should be aware of? Uh, the the age range I'm working with right now is elementary school age. The age range most of my career has been um, teenagers. Um, and truly, the Maslow's hierarchy of need is where I lean most on. And just realizing, you know, we don't know where the child has come from from that morning. We don't know what their night was. We don't know what yesterday was. We don't know how they're internally feeling about themselves or where they're at. So just taking that time to really learn them, but also learn their body movements and their verbiage that they use because you can catch a lot of things that maybe they don't want to say out loud or maybe they don't know they're presenting but if you know the kid you're able to sit and watch and just ask the questions of you know and sometimes they're the hard questions of are you okay did something happen are you safe do you are you going to hurt yourself or others you know those hard questions um, but if you feel safe and they feel safe and you've worked together then yeah, a lot of positive changes can happen within that kid, but that's also the ripple effect within our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you bring up an important thing there between sort of um, elementary and, and, and teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and by that, I mean, for those of us who don't have that specialist um you know, education um, understanding in, in that same way, and I'll sort of put myself in that bracket, mm -hmm. not just in terms of the way that you obviously you're, you're talking to to people because of course that is going to change right. as, as you're going through <laughs> but 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 your kind of your kind of expectations in terms of you know some of the things you're dealing with with the teenagers mm -hmm. are they the things that maybe you would have been able to have helped them in elementary had they had those conversations and that understanding there but I guess with that a proviso in understanding that you know teenagers are different because they're developmentally going to be in a different place as well so i'm just curious mm -hmm. is is the sort of if there's a sort of a progression there that you're able to help with as well as the like say that sort of real practical difference of just being the different ages wow that's a great question because you know the first gut instinct is like yeah i'm hoping i'm making some changes <laughs> when, when i see <laughs> them younger yeah of course but i i truly think that yes um when i'm working with the younger kids yeah, there's going to be some changes that hopefully they know that um, not only within themselves that they're a much different person than what maybe they perceive themselves to be or now that they're out of a certain environment, um, we can start building a foundation of their knowledge of social, emotional, everything. Um, so yes, I think that that's, that's helpful to have a school setting that's really supportive and holistic and realize that it's not just about ABCs, it's also about um, emotional needs and that's truly where the change happens. And in terms of, of your journey with any given mm -hmm. child, it's, I, mean, I know it's going to be personalized, right. and I know it's going to be yeah. different for, for, for everyone, but mm -hmm. do, do you... Is, is there that kind of, you, you become that safe person, as it were, or that safe place because the conversations that you're having are the, with the same person who knows yesterday and they know the day before. And is there kind of a, a time scale that you feel is kind of either a minimum that's that's really important or, or a time when it when it can change and morph? What sorts of, sort of experience in terms oh, of that? It, it is. And one of the things with, especially with kids with a, a trauma background is 
they're they're going to be different from day to day so you might have okay so we were really we were tight yesterday but today you're really pushing away what's happening um i i think the biggest thing though is also is never acting surprised by anything they tell you because they're going to be telling you things to um to see your reaction to see are you going to stick around how are you going to react what are you going to say to that but if you're just keep that that safe place and not getting riled up when they say something to you or saying, wow, thank you for telling me all of that information. That's truly where the building blocks go. And, and the same skills that I use for the little kids is, I mean, we're going to be using it for the bigger kids as well. Verbiage is different, of course. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when kids are struggling behaviorally, whether it's special education needs or trauma needs, because sometimes they go together, um, they're back to that that little child child of where maybe trauma happened. So keeping those that affect um, for both of them can can be very very helpful, or at least keeping it in the back of your mind, knowing this might be an 18 year old male sitting in front of me, but really his needs are more like a, a 10 year old or an 11 year old. And we talk quite a lot on the podcast about community mm -hmm. and. And in terms of that sense of, you know, every single participant in a child's life, you know, whether it's the teacher, whether it's someone outside of school, whether it's their family, that kind of thing. I'm curious as to where to where you sort of sit in there, because I guess, you know, you you might be also having families with related to the children who are very supportive and trying to do the best they possibly can. And, and, and you're an integral part of that. But mm -hmm. I guess it might be the families aren't so supportive and they've got to you through the education system or whatever. So right. where does where does your sort of role fit, depending on, <laughs> on on each of those sort of situations? On the year, on the day. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I was in um, the classroom, Oh man, like I I had I actually had um, a child that I that was in foster care that ended up coming and living with me. <laughs> so you know, so um, I had the whole spectrum. But I also had parents that I worked with that they had come to me and they're like, "This is the first time I've ever felt part of the special education process team within the school," um, because there's so much of them and us the school's always trying to do something hurtful or the parents aren't doing enough you know there's always this this theirs and them um instead of a team aspect and i'm unique in my experiences because i've been able to sit at every seat at a special education meeting in the united states i've been the child with an iep i'm in a i have dyslexia i've been the adult writing um, the IEP and making sure it's um, compliant with the law. And I'm also a parent of a child with special needs. So that gives me a lot of, um, I see the nervousness and the stress and the pressure from each seat that goes on at the table. So that's been really um, helpful of me being able to sit back and say, I get it. Um, let's mm. talk about this. Um, yeah. And, it's amazing how even starting a meeting with parents, even just saying, you know, I'm, I'm anxious for this meeting or I'm nervous for this meeting and just setting a level playing field or having the specific questions of knowing that parents are an expert of their kids. 
I'm an expert of their child. We all, as human beings, act differently in different situations. Like, we act different when we're talking on a podcast, and I'm chatting on the phone with my friend, and then I'm sitting in a meeting. So knowing that we all act different in different situations, that makes all of our experience with the kids invaluable. Uh, so knowing that and approaching communications with parents and meetings with parents, um, that's really important because it is a team aspect. So we can all get to know the kids and maybe something that they do out in the community could help me in the classroom and vice versa. Um, but also one of the biggest things that brought in parents um, whether parents that are already involved that this helped them feel comfortable or bringing parents into the school setting is positive communication home. I would do positive communication at least once a week with parents um, of their kids because kids with behaviors, parents don't always get positive notes home. Having positive communication home with parents is vitally important for many reasons. One, it builds the communication with the parents. Two, they know that you truly, you see their kid and you don't just see him as a, as a, a struggle. You see him as the person that they are. Um, it, it also helps when you have to have a difficult conversation with parents. It helps that you have that positive baseline with them. So um, it's, it's more of a positive conversation, even though it's a difficult conversation, than if all you talk to the parents about is, is uh, difficult things, then um, they're going to have that barrier. Uh, but also, schools are, can be intimidating, and they can be really um, um, scary for parents. Maybe they don't uh, education wasn't the forefront or maybe the type of building or maybe um, where the school is set there's a lot there can be a lot of barriers for families um, for walking into school buildings so if if you can be a safe place but also for parents then that's really important as well because when you're working with kids with special education needs it, you really are a team and truthfully no one understands what you're doing except the people doing it. So even other teachers in the building don't necessarily understand what a special education teacher might be doing, but yet, you know what, those, those parents do, and you can be a support for each other as well. Yeah, sort of like saying knowing who that team is mm -hmm. is, is kind of key. And one thing which I, which I loved what you said was that kind of sense of, of that honest and authentic communication, mm -hmm. because like you said, it can be intimidating in all these different settings and there's something about an honesty about i'm scared mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. i have loads of questions what whatever that happens to be because everything in life is just human and yes. and communication and yes. and we get you know uh, it should look it should look like this because you're the professional i'm the parent or mm -hmm. you know this is a, a professional meeting so it should look a certain way and i think as soon as you can dispel all of that and just like we're just here to do what's best for everybody mm -hmm. that changes the, the the energy in the room and, and like I say and then we'll change the conversations and the way that we hear as well mm -hmm. is actually like yeah. say asking those questions yeah one of the most magical uh meetings I had it was a it was going to be a, a very hard uh a meeting with parents and also the kid it was a behavior behavior issue and it, it had a lot of higher ups in the in the district right so there's a lot of people with doctor in front of their names and here i am leading this meeting here are the the parents just by themselves you know and the kids so i always try to to sit 
either right next to the parent or right across so I can keep the eye contact with them. Going, we're here, we're here. Um, but when I started this meeting, I um, had a piece of paper and a pencil, and then I asked everyone to say something positive about the kid we're meeting about. So everyone had to say, I don't care who you were, you had to say something positive about this kid, and I wrote it all down. Um, so when we were going over, maybe something that was hard, I would be, but look, you were showing your advocacy skills in that situation because, and just referring back to the positive list, uh, what, a, what a difference that made for being able to talk about some really difficult behavior issues, but yet, look, this is where it's stemming from, so let's really focus on this and how we can do it appropriately. Yeah, I love that. So, like I say, it's such a powerful mm -hmm. thing, and and also separates out, like you say, maybe a behavioural thing or a situation compared to who you are. And you know, we're here because we see you. And we're trying to help right. and support, and and and, and all of those. So, like I say, the bigger picture, depending on the situation, right. but really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm curious, um, in terms of your journey, um, so you know, with your professional hat on now, you know, can you sort of look back and see? what would have helped you what was supportive and then of course as a mum like you say mm -hmm. um with children that need support how how does that all sort of look now from like say a slightly sort of hovering over right. looking from that professional situation <laughs> the um, hindsight if you see what i mean <laughs> yes yeah. totally so um my journey uh i was actually my second grade teacher, Mrs. Cerny, um, went to my parents and said that she noticed that I was struggling. So my reading skills were showing a deficit. And she suggested that I be tested. And so my parents had me tested and I came out, I was, I'm dyslexic. So what a pivotal thing to have that noticed so early on. And then to have the support, my first special education teacher um, I use the skills she taught me daily <laughs> as an organization, self-esteem, all of those things. Um, she was really pivotal in my life and I didn't realize in what ways until now that I'm in my, you know, my forties, you look back on life a lot different. Um, but even with positive teachers and positive uh, family support, um, growing up in special education in the 80s and 90s, particularly, but even still today, it's it's hard. There's a lot of taunting and self-esteem um, squashing that goes on. Uh, so there's been a lot of shame around education for me uh, because I never felt good enough, smart enough, capable enough, you know, all of those enoughs. And um, I had a teacher, one of my special education teachers in high school say, you know, you shouldn't look at college because um, you need to pick a different career that doesn't evolve education. Hear you loud and clear, fast forward, I have two master's degrees. <laughs> you know, there's never enough. Um, part of that's because I absolutely adore learning new information, but the other part is I can do it, look. Am I smart enough now? Can I do it now? So there's still been um, this fear of not being good enough. And I would say, um, now that I have a child who um, is dyslexic as well and seeing his self-esteem around it, if he struggles with reading something, he's like, I can't read that, can you help me? Like there's no shame in the game right there for him. Seeing that and looking at all of my 
instead of focusing on negatives, look at all the positives that come with having a differently wired brain. Um, has really changed the way I perceive myself and, and helping others as well. Um, when I was in the classroom, my main focus was being the special education teacher that I, that I needed and that um, I know I can do. And now I'm able to help, I help kids and adults with invisible disabilities to find their strengths and set their goals. And I'm really always interested in that scenario mm -hmm. of, it's incredibly difficult and, and as you described, it can be painful depending on what your experience is. Mm -hmm. But what it does give you is that real understanding that we don't have to all do it the same way. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to be reading this in the way that maybe someone else thinks I should be able to. Mm -hmm. But it's not that I don't understand it or don't want to do it or be involved in it, like I say, or want to get my master's right. <laughs> twice over. Right. Um, but how, how, how are we going to go about that? You know, what, what are my alternatives, mm -hmm. you know? And that sense of kind of trying to release the shackles of kind of, so what is it that I need to do in the way that I do it that's going to make a difference? And I, I mean, I have these conversations all the time in my sort of, sort of drum teaching world mm -hmm. of that kind of, some people just pick things up so quickly by listening and they don't want to read the music. Some people read the music and then suddenly as soon as there's nothing there that they have to do, they feel a little bit insecure because they've got to have that creativity and make it up as they go through. <laughs> And what's really fascinating for me is there are some people who get halfway between the two. They've already told themselves they can't do one side or the other. Um, and so they're fascinating conversations, but you need to get those shackles off to begin with to say, what is it we're trying to do? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to experience? And let's find the route and the percentages of what all those different sections are that can help you learn a personalized you know yes. which is sort of where we started yes. so so I mean how, how is that for you and, and how is that when you're sort of having those conversations with the people that you're working with it's like a non-stop screaming it out to the world you have to think when you give an assignment to a kid you have to think about what is actually the purpose of this assignment what am I trying to get out of it uh, so exactly tests don't have to be multiple choice <laughs> like they could be a conversation with a kid you could have a kid um illustrates the point that you're trying to like there's just what is it that i'm needing the kid to show me and it's not always can they write a complete sentence with perfect handwriting and spelling it's did they grasp the information and i think that that is truly a big part of personalizing is taking a step back and going okay what do I what do I need to be see, what do I need to see out of the situation and it doesn't have to be the same uh, and I think that that's that's a a perk of being a special education teacher and the fact that um, I can I have that mindset of okay let's just have something else like kids would send to me through tests and I would be okay hey, let's have this conversation and I would have the conversation and I would just verbally answer the question or something like that because it's not all about what someone can do to fit into this little box of what we think success looks like or what we think brilliance looks like uh, it's about untapping someone else's not, I don't want to say potential I want to say um, their gifts and what just struck me then was I just went back to um, 
that image that you created about that meeting with the mm-hmm. child and all the doctors there and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, or doctors in inverted commas in terms of <laughs> and that, that kind Sometimes of thing. it feels like they just pull people out of the hallways and say, you're yeah. doctor so-and-so <laughs> yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I, I thought that, that there's a really good sort of example there of what I love the fact, like I said, you got them all to write it down and you were able to then do that and then say about mm-hmm. it. But of course, the importance of that is to making sure that the child understood all of those positive attributes and all of those things. Now, in a school setting, what you could have done is written those down and given them to the child, mm-hmm. which would be not be so helpful if, if the dyslexia w- w- was an issue in that mm-hmm. scenario. Or it might have been that you could just say it and they heard it, mm-hmm. which is fine because they weren't able to read it or they could read it, but they're not able to hear very well. So therefore telling them wouldn't have helped. Right. It doesn't actually matter, but you would have done it in the way that supported that child best mm-hmm. because the important thing was their emotional reaction to the fact of what it is that you're trying to do in that positivity. Mm-hmm. And I thought the, 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 the outcome for that child in all those different scenarios would have been different depending on how they bring that information into them and how they feel about right. it and that's kind of really what we're talking about when you're learning anything right. really isn't it is how it gets on board and how you're then able to help them express it and communicate it in whichever format they need to be in. you're absolutely correct i mean even sitting within a classroom setting that you're thinking this isn't um intimidating or threatening to you <laughs> but it could be for somebody else so how do we make sure that person has the support so they don't shut down and so that they stay with us and stay engaged yeah so incredible i mean you mentioned before about um that teacher that made a big difference and and i I also love the fact that some of the people that make a big difference they're not necessarily positive you know you can't go to college or you shouldn't be thinking of this (laughs) that has a big impact so, I mean, is there anyone else or any other situation that, that, that you want to share that you, that kind of really sort of gives you that sense of, yeah, this had an impact, good, bad, or, or indifferent, but but you know, this occasionally you just think, yeah, it made something there, which was a, a learning experience, yes. which you, is priceless. But like I say, it's not something which is in the textbook or something which is, a, mm-hmm. uh, it's a gift that's sort of outside of the box, as it were. Wow. What a great, what a great question. I would say in my educational life, when I started realizing how I complete things or think about situations in a different way was during my second master's, which was in education. And so there's a lot of more individualized, personalized questions with that. And hearing and seeing how I completed projects so much differently than the other. I mean, I was also, what, 10, 15 years older than a lot of my other classmates and having the the victim advocacy in my background um, gave me different viewpoints as well. But it's also how do I present information is so much can be so much different than someone else who's maybe um, neurotypical or um, still believe in the small view of intelligence. Um, so I would say that was, and, and seeing the feedback I was getting from those special education teachers, that was really like, okay, I'm heading in the correct direction. This is truly where I want to go. But then how crazy is that? I get to be a, a special education teacher and I'm like, they can't find out that I have dyslexia. They cannot. Oh, you lose all credibility. That's backwards. And that's not true, but that's still where I was at in my head. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I have this conversation with our kids quite a lot. Um, and, and, and certainly my daughter now is sort of going through GCSEs at sort of age 15, 16, you know, they're sort of the mm-hmm. first main sort of standardized tests from in that sort of qualification way anyway, mm-hmm. not, not the first tests. And, and so much of it is, is, it's, it's the same sort of concept as the fact that you have to realize that so much of the information you're being given from school is what they have to give you, what they perceive they have That's to give somebody you. who's not even and, an education set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. And you have, and you have to kind of not ignore it, but understand where that's coming from, because you have to realize where you fit in all of that. Yeah, you don't have to sleep till midnight every night doing homework. You don't, you can choose that actually some kind of work life balance is really important. You can ask a question. Also, you can ask for help. You know, you can actually say, I'm not sure this is going to work for me in this way. Can I do it a different way? Which so many children are so scared of to ask to sort of do it differently. And often when you open those doors, the help's there. Um, but there's sort of that sense that it has to be a, a certain way. And I, and I think, I think, like you said, when, when you're being told for like six or seven hours a day that the world looks like this, mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't, to, I, I think that's why you know the, the work that you do in the, that those personal conversations you sort of you open that door a little bit and they feel safe and you feel like anything is possible mm-hmm. but it's so hard to keep that going when you've got like 95 percent of other people just telling you the traditional way or it looks like this and whatever and I, and I think to be able to build that sort of confidence in that inner knowledge mm-hmm. that you, you know like I say you are enough you have the skills that you need if you don't have what you need you can find the people that can help mm-hmm. you and support you and build that community so incredibly important but I can also see why it's so hard for people when like I say there's a 95% saying it's black and you know that it's white or certainly gray or absolutely between. absolutely and a lot of the times when we are working on assignments in the classroom that you know we know as adults we're not going to always use maybe everything that we learned in trig or chemistry or something like that. But what we will always use is the, the knowledge of how to look things up that we don't know. Because there's so many different ways that to, to find the answers to things. And so for me, that was really the underlining lesson that I wanted kids to get out of any assignment is, okay, so here's our question. How do we look that up and how do we know to find a good, legit answer? Yeah, so important. Mm-hmm. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, what advice maybe would you give your younger self now, looking back as a slightly more experienced person? <laughs> <laughs> and I was slightly caveat this with the fact that I also know as a younger person, you might not have taken it on board. But if no, you've never heard I was it. not cool. <laughs> I would not be cool. Um, trust your gut. Um, it you are so much cooler than you give yourself credit for and you're so much smarter and your opinions and thoughts are important and needed. Don't hide them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's so true. And and I also think that the the sense of finding your tribe is important as well, just sort of following on from what you said there because that's the other thing about when you're younger is you perceive the world to be the people in the situations that you're currently in. And 
that you always you know there's someone around that you connect with and just understand that as life goes on there'll be more of those people and you can be more sort of focused on the people you want to surround yourself with so there's a there's a positive conveyor belt that's going to help you get in that direction as long as you sort of understand where that goes i think that's so important Mm -hmm. yeah and you're you're true to yourself and that's the type of people that are really healthy for you to be around yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely now is there a podcast a video song book anything which has had an impact from a resource point of view that you'd like to share oh so many um i will tell you the two that i am actually like all about right now and atomic habits by james clear is a book that is uh, amazing in the fact that it doesn't make um changing your habits scary or really um, overwhelming. It, it tells you how to take steps to make positive changes, whatever positive changes you want in your life. It, it sets it up so you can make those steps a little bit at a time. Um, and it's really helps you be successful. Huge book for me right now. And also the Dyslexic Advantage by Brock E-I-D-E, E-D, and Ferdinand E-D. Um, just reading about how um, instead of looking at the struggles and the deficits, we really need to flip the script because there's so many positives that go along with um, anyone who, anyone and anyone. I mean, all of our brains are different. But to really say, oh, okay, so here are the positives that might come and I don't have to focus on my difficult greeting because, oh my goodness, look at all these tools that help me with that, that I don't have to focus on that, that I can free my brain up for all these other things. So those are the two that are sitting on my desk right now that are um, really um, changing day to day in a positive way. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I also love the fact that it's something like you say, getting excited about the the thing on the on the here and now yes. you know and and that way you we're always developing we're always able to help and support and and that's why I love the podcast you know these conversations mm-hmm. or an awareness of something or something coming into our into our world that we didn't know before which mm-hmm. I absolutely love yeah. so the acronym FIRE is incredibly important, obviously, here, education on FIRE. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. Mm-hmm. Which of those things sort of gives you that sort of gut reaction of, of being important in, in, in sort of in what sort of way? Mm. You know, that's the first thing that came to mind was ugh, resilience. But truly, it's empowerment. Empowerment, because that'll give you everything else. If you um, have that inside you of knowing that I'm good the way that I am and I can do anything with the tools that I have I have you can really that builds the resilience that builds you know everything else so for me um empowerment has always been at the baseline of every lesson I try to teach fantastic well Lady, thank you so much for sharing all these the stories and your wisdom and your understanding for everything. Um, just finish off, tell people where people can find out more and how they can get in touch. Absolutely. Uh, website, LettyGlenn.com, and that will get you my email of Letty at LettyGlenn.com. <laughs> so... Fantastic. <laughs> brilliant lovely well thank you thank you so much for chatting today and it's um and what i love is the fact especially when i talk to people from different countries and different continents and that kind of thing is the fact that there's a universal language which is that authenticity of people learning and supporting each other doesn't matter what system you're in or what part of the world or what country i think those things are 
are, are true, which is, I think, hence the reason so many people around the world listen to the show because it is it's just it's just about being a human and how we can help and support and people. accepting so, yeah, humanity. Thanks so much for sharing. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. So yeah, so thanks, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.